Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, Brennan here. Thank you for tuning in to our 25 Years of VTM podcast. If you want to reach out or follow us, we're on Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon as 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch as 25 Years of VTM, and on our website at 25yearsvtm.com. With that, enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to uh, 25 Years, of course, uh, presenting Werewolf, and getting back to it after uh, a little bit of a holiday break, um, by a little bit, pretty much... uh, well, at least for us. I mean, I'm certain the release, you guys didn't see it, but we did a lot of pre-recording, finagling, and scheduled dancing and whatnot. And uh, coming back to you guys with a bit of a, an odd review, like this one we're doing Rage, Warriors of the Apocalypse. Now, why I do that, it's not that it's a bad book, but bear with us here today. We don't want to skip this book because of its importance uh, to, to a lot of things. I think Werewolf owes its, I feel, at least from my perspective, Werewolf owes its success to this card game called Rage. And they made this book to honor that card game, which is ironic, because it was based on fan demand. And they say that in the intro of this book. Talk about the fact that it Rage the card game that came out. If you don't know what Rage was, it was a card game designed for you to play a werewolf pack. You construct it yourself. And you throw minions of the worm into your, your hunting pool in the middle. And they have objectives, and your goal is to go at them. Your opponent's job is to, of course, collect more renowned points than you. But they get to play the enemy. So when you have this unique combat system with great stylized art, it's sort of a one, two, three, flip your card sort of action. Whoever wins, wins, and damage is damage. Gifts change the scope of things. Rights, renown, it change the scope of things. Battlefields were added later on. This is a pretty intuit card game. Um, I did a little looking around, and if you're a fan of Tabletop Simulator on Steam, they do have a version of Rage that's on there that you can get and uh, they have all the deck additions and player modded stuff on there. It's a mod. Uh, but you can play around with it because I believe this uh, Rage was ended. And uh, that's that's what when I, it was ended. And uh, it's an old card game, but it's an oldie but goodie. And it's a good one to, to look at if you're a fan of Werewolf. Even if you're not. And I'll tell you why. The Warriors of the Apocalypse book that was uh, inspired by Rage to make also includes characters from First Ed that they considered relevant to pull in. And then, of course, there's a second edition that we're right around the corner from. Why I say that, to spend a moment for this, me and Nick kind of had a tete-a-tete in a good way, talking about are we going to, you know, with the releasing, it goes first to the second ed, but we noticed that the second ed book came out before the first ed was done. And we could talk about second ed and then roll it forward, and I was absolutely not. I said, we'll just do all first ed before we get to second ed books, what have you. Rage kind of rides that line. And it writes it because this Warriors of the Apocalypse, it's right around the time when, you know, Second Ed, the main book came out. And in there they have a lot of the characters from the Silver Crown and whatnot that are represented well. Phoenix Saga's mentioned there and a whole bunch of other stuff. We haven't reviewed it yet. We will get there. But we wanted to do it to some cohesion. This here is a labor of love uh, for the card game and canon characters. I.e., if you're a wise person... What you're going to do is you're going to see that artwork for Rage get inspired like they were into actually adding the content for a tabletop format. That's actually what this book is. Not a bad idea. It is a... I think it's an homage to fans. I think people who were so excited about Rage did that. Now, I mentioned the importance of this 
I remember being in the card shop and someone told me, this is how much of a diehard vampire fan I was. Werewolves were the bane of everything. I had a brother who played uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse and I didn't care about it. I was so tuned out of the game because the moment I figured out it was all about Gaia and Gaia was somehow their earth mother and I assumed they were born out of mud pies and you know they came from the earth almost like golems and they were chosen with superpowers to defend the earth against the evil of mankind and earth's dying for some reason and there's nothing they can do when will you rage and i was like yeah it's a little too much that's that's way too much like does even consider vampires in it like if the world's that dire where does this i mean you you understand that creatures of darkness werewolf blah 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 you can get where my head was pretty much far up my own ass Right, I won't. I won't even give the shot of some. Let me get this straight, Bob. You'll play an immortal vampire, which is basically a modified undead bat person, but you won't play a werewolf for whatever reason. And I wouldn't. But I love card games. We were playing Magic at the time. It was getting pretty steady. Uh, vampire: The Eternal Struggle was all the rage, and we were slamming it out. And the card shop owner, happenstance, was like, "You know, your brother plays rage quite a bit. A couple of your friends are in here doing it." And I was like, "Whatever." And he goes, "I'll tell you what." You like Norse mythology? It's like, do I ever? Because yeah, here's this pack of something. I just want you to look at it. They're called Geta Fenris. Why are they called that? Uh, it's interesting. I haven't really read this stuff, but from here, this little packet, look at the artwork, and you see the artwork. And that was that's all it took for me. Once I saw what a werewolf looked like, and it wasn't a guy under the full moon looking like he's gonna run around chase parked cars, I was like, okay. Okay, there's substance here, but what are the villains? Immediately, I bypassed werewolf, and I said, so it's like a bunch of werewolf hunters? Are there a pack of them with shotguns and whatever? He goes, yeah, could be. But uh, there's this giant, unspeakable thing. I don't know what a Nexus crawler is, but check it out. And of course, he had this awesome layout for it. And I'm suddenly, I'm paying like $100, $200 to buy this whole set to get caught up. Because now you got to have the best stuff. And that was my introduction to Rage the Card Game. Because as we were playing it, artwork was one thing. But to hear the activity of the players it wasn't just like one two three flip it starts where all the players are talking about how okay i'm gonna win but i'm gonna win by killing the most worm i'm gonna get the renown first i'm gonna get all the renown because i'm the most active tribe and people started talking shit basically fans for their own tribe and they have their own tribe deck already built and so they have them out here and they have them played but that's not the end of it now they were rooting for each other across table and otherwise because if somebody took on a particularly powerful enemy, you would hear this silence at the table like, oh man, I don't know how you're going to do that. Like, you took that fight on and you're lower now. Why well, didn't take it on? The Shadow Lord tricked me into having to fight this guy. What do you do? Oh, you damn Shadow Lords, which is what you expect, right? They're a little behind. They're going to use a trick to get ahead. Nothing unusual. But they would cheer. That was unique. Wait a second. Not only is it competitive, but I want you to win when it's insurmountable odds and you're the low man in the totem pole... How hard can you swing? How tricky can you get? Can you best this enemy? Can you outthink it? Um, can anybody do anything to help you? Are they going to try to do something to help you? And then you watch this happen. It fostered an odd teamwork, even though it was like a polite competitiveness to get to this renown. <coughs> I, I think that's everything. I think that card game captured what Werewolf was supposed to be in terms of the tabletop. You were supposed to have that camaraderie uh, amongst the tribes to see to the truth. Because of that, this book warranted everything when I saw that it was on the shelf as well. Same day, got the cards, looked, and I saw there was a book out. And where I didn't know that this book was inspired by the Rage cards, it took little time 
for me to go through and start noticing that the characters and the artwork matched and now here's the story behind it, I started collecting Werewolf immediately because there was a lot left on the table. Now, where I said that, Nick, I know you had a more modern, distant years later with this material. What did you think of Rage and then this book? Well, I never got a chance to play Rage, uh, the card game. I've only had a chance to look at it from the distance and kind of see uh, some of the different cards, some of the different artwork, but never actually had a, a chance to sit down. It's not like like a V-Test where, you know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the rule systems and everything. But looking at this and seeing what they did, it, it makes me wish they had done something like this for V-Test. And, and a lot of that is because it definitely would have ended the argument we have with Duncan McDougal or whatever his name is, the <laughs> Prince of Ireland, the card that we can't find a character for, period, right? We know he exists. We can't find him in lore. What happened? We would know all about him if they had made a book like this for V-Test. <laughs> it's, it's very important, I think, to, to you as a, as a player to understand kind of what you're playing, right? If, if you're like us... And, and the way that we play card games, um, we, we play them in a role-play sense. We're, we're that nerdy. So when we sit down at the table and we're playing, you know, get a Fenris or Stargazers or whatever we're playing, we decide at that moment that we're going to role-play our actions like we would if we were one of these tribes. You know, we will talk to the other people at the tribes as if they were the tribe that they're playing, so on and so forth. That is the way that we're going to approach the game. And knowing the backstory of the heroes that you're putting forward and the relationships that they have with other people uh, or other characters at the game uh, would be critically important to that and would be no end to the amount of, uh, of jack-jawing that would happen at the table. And that's, that's all the fun, right? That's that social aspect you want to hit on that point. And, and that's what's there. But that's the inspiration for the book in and of itself. The actual creation of it and how it's laid out they start with Champions of Gaia. Now, we're going to give you some sample entries here and what our take is of them, but we want to remind you guys that this is a review. It would be a disservice for you to sit here and listen to us drone on and on by telling you each individual character the gifts they have and the fetishes they have. That would be an audiobook that you didn't sign up for. That's uh, Let's forget about that. Instead, uh, we're going to tell you what we think is a very smart build. A lot of the people they have in here who thought up the... It was like a think tank that came up with a group of characters as well. Very smart group of authors here that formulated these characters and tied them to some important events. Some are hidden. Some are unused, but left there for players to use them. And that's an important bit there. Nothing in here... How I use this book, and I've always used this book. Like I said, though, I have a kind of a personal attachment to it. Whenever I start a campaign, somewhere, somehow, I will use a tidbit, story, sliver, plot, a comb it for seeds... Use the characters if I must. Um, like the Get a Fenris Fang Jumper. Those who played my, my Russia game will understand that character. Love him to death. It's a great character. But th this is the book I saw him in and had to use him in, even though he is in the Russian book. Um, that's, the, uh, that's the idea behind it, right? That's the point. So, without further ado, I'm going to take a glance here at the uh, Black Furies, is where, where we started, where the ones I picked. And most importantly is... Uh, Amari Howells from uh, Soul. Amari Howells from Soul is a nice, well-balanced character, and I would argue to say it's a starter character, right? It's for new players to the tribe, and it's something that's easy to understand with the history and why her first change came about, and it's something that is very much, well, Black Fury. It's what I like to call, hey, welcome to Werewolf. You're going to play for the first time. 
don't worry about making a character go ahead and use this template whatever you want to say adjust the name if you want and play this character because it's designed for you to get a black fury experience meaning that your storyteller knows you're new they're going to saddle you with a cool character with a good balanced build and now you have a chance to play it from that that perspective whether you use the first change they recommend that you went through and the history's there or slightly modify it it's a great character for that why is this stellar entry well typically in a book like this if you're familiar with children of the night for vampire the masquerade they have stellar threaded in hardcore elemented characters sometimes with amazing stats very few times do you see just a basic character they always got a hook here you don't here yeah. being a werewolf is unique enough my my notes for amari specifically are boilerplate it, it's exactly what it is it's a boilerplate lupus lupus galliard so it, it's it's someone who and it, it takes you very simply through how you would feel as a lupus coming into your change and then here you go character perfect boilerplate no muss no fuss to uh to roll it further though um you go right to the deep end just so people who were fans of the epic it's here cassandra shadow walker is a um i would like to call a mainstay character because it highlights the point of what's wrong with the get offenders off the bat this rank theurge uh this rank five theurge had her had her home destroyed by the get offenders her cairn and that's that's a big no-no Right? She was forced to leave it. Her people destroyed the Cairn taken over by Get. Why? Who knows? And really doesn't even really state a point. It's the Get Fenris. Already they yeah. want you to believe the Get do things like this. Don't need an explanation. Don't need context. You make it up. But that's what happened to her. This Get hatred becomes a universal catalyst for intertribal conflict. And, and this, is, this is just another example of it. A couple times, Nick, you and I have gone through books and have seen how the Get Fenris are just an easy villain. That they kind of yep. they kind of address and put forward, but it's a unique villain. The fact that it's antagonist to keep the good guys moving forward. They're not a villain in the sense of they're evil, but they can have destructive elements to them. Reality is is that this character Cassandra sees them for what they are, and instead of let's kill every get that exists, she avoids them. She avoided them by going to the Umbra, and and making frequent trips to the Umbra. In fact, meeting one of the greatest. I'd say one of the most important things I'd say in history I've read for Werewolf is that she's a character that actually meant Phoebe, the uh, planetary incarnate of Earth's moon. Yeah. That's that's epic. I believe gave her a moon silver whip. Isn't that what it was? And uh, Yep. Hey, thanks for showing up. No one's ever got here. Here's your moon silver whip. Sucks what happened to your home, but, you know, guy had other plans for you. Welcome. And before anyone thinks you mean Luna, Bob, I don't mean Luna. Don't get that twisted. Uh, this is uh, the Incarna of Earth's moon. However, Luna would be the Celestine of all moons, the spiritual Celestine, the embodiment of all of them. Obviously, we understand the cosmos and how epic that is, and uh, that's that's the difference between the two. Although, an Incarna is as powerful as you're probably going to run into uh, in any game, and if you happen to run into a Celestine, great epic game. You should tell us about it. Um, that's uh, it's a fun aspect. Uh, Cassandra doesn't stop there, though, right? She also adds the fact that she respects the Silverfang understanding of the Triad. And for a refresher, that's the Worm, Weaver, and Wild. Says it's the closest to the truth that she's encountered. This is unique. Right? Because typically out of the tribe books, you, the tribe will always take the tribal's perspective. They don't give a head nod or say someone else is good and whatever. Here they wrote her as having that opinion as a more than respectable theurge. And we haven't yet to review the first edition Silverfang book. It's coming. Uh, but it's mm -hmm. going to be great to see it. But um, 
the epic important point here is that it validates there's not a clear understanding for werewolves, right? That's that's what I like to see. That there isn't a hard and fast rule for this is the triad, this is what they're for, this is how we see it. Instead, what you see is the perception makes reality, which is kind of where animism takes you. It's your experience with the spiritual that kind of dictates how you're going to see uh, what a werewolf is. This is why werewolves player, werewolf players, diehard fans like myself, Nick, others, they have their way of viewing it. And they're going to die on the hill. Right? It doesn't mean that they can't add to it. Every experience that they have with the game, even from different perspectives, different characters, it adds another layer to the, to the tale. And it ends up being this exploration you constantly feel that you have. And this is done on purpose. You shouldn't know the worm because you read the book of the worm. Right? That's not going to tell you what the worm is. It definitely gives you an aspect of what the worm's about, but it's just the starter. There's more to it. And, and how terrifying is something that you understand completely? I'll tell you, not terrifying at all. And uh, what? How terrifying is the darkness once you once you you grow old and and realize the dangers that are in there? Uh, not terrifying at all. I'd rather be the youthful uh, kid with the imagination who doesn't know what lies in the darkness. Always, uh, the uh, the mystery is important there. Um, but Cassandra is a uh, is a character unique out of game. I think more than necessarily in game, but you could certainly use her that way. And you're gonna find. That's just, like, what you're hearing right now, I'm wetting your whistle a little bit. Telling you what to look forward to it. But why don't get into her detailed history? It's a great read. It's fun to read that. And you're just like, if you have time, or if you're like me, you have your congressional meetings and you're alone time, as you do, and you, uh, you have a library in your bathroom. And when you're there, hey, read the book. Do your thing. It's a good read for that. Like a magazine for werewolves. Pretty dope that way. Um, but, you ever wonder what a ragabesh is, Nick? Um, not so much as I used to. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop. I, I know there's a leading question, so I'm just gonna let you run with it. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It was it was the lead like to get you there. It was like, hey, do you do you often find that you're out of talcum powder at the oddest times? No, I'm. Uh, why I said that, why I said it that way is just to be humorous. Have a little fun with that. Uh, but I often think that I knew what a ragabash was back in the day. Here's here's what live action tells you: a ragabash is someone that likes to use gimmicky gifts to kind of steal the show and steal some powers and cause mischief without ever having responsibility. Seemingly, yeah. All right. That, that, that seems to be one interpretation of it. But when you look at it, a ragamesh can also be a saboteur. Can also be an assassin. Right? It's definitely a thief-esque type, an espionage type. Depends on how you want to use it. Now, you could use a ragamesh to teach lessons. In a way, you could use a ragamesh to fight your foe uh, with information, trickery, and what have you, to have their uses uh, by not being traditional. We have to think differently to go at an enemy that you're not going to beat with overwhelming force, right? We're the guys in the, we're the, we're the little guy on the totem pole. We're not the big one, right? The big one's the worm trying to eat us, and we got to do what we can to think outside of the box. That's the ragabash. Now, why I say that is because this, this Black Fury hit me as uh, more than important. Uh, if I could pronounce this correctly, uh, Julisha of the Thousand Mass is uh, is epic. Is uh, an epic character as, as any in here, but it's because that she doesn't have a story that anybody could stick to. Yep. Hence her name. I it's adore- more of a legend, right? Absolutely. It's a legendary writing, even an entry for a character. It's like, sure, you know she's a Black Fury. Absolutely, you know there's a Black Fury of the name. 
And it's rumored that she's one of the highest circle of Black Fury that she can get that sits in their inner calyx. You know, that inner group that rules the tribe. And rule maybe is a bad term. I don't think Black Fury's thinking at capacity. Uh, but supports their tribe with a mind for the responsibility of directing what they do. Would be probably more appropriate. Um, Julisha, though, as, as all the tribes see her, is she's like an MI6 James Bond female type. If it's dangerous, she's doing it. And she prefers the, to work alone. She even has a trademark little uh, tiki mask that she that she leaves uh, as a calling card before she kills someone. You'll find it at the scene to let you know. Julissa the Thousand Mask did this. And then she's out like trout. But nobody can really place her. Now what's awesome is the artwork for the card they have for it. Any entry in this book. When you see them, it's like, oh, okay, it makes a lot of sense. She has all sorts of masks around her. Definitely has, uh, definitely African by appearance. Has that feel to it. Or is that her? I'm kind of with Nick on this. Just what he said. It's the legend of a character that could be that. But wouldn't it be epic if it's just a group, this inner calyx is actually a group of ragabash that like to keep this rumor going and they take turns in doing this work and pulling it off, making it seem it's her? How detrimental is that to the worm? Here's an enemy that you can send everybody at that's just an ideal and you're never going to catch it. And just when you think you got it, someone somewhere else is telling you how she's actually killed you again and done several things, this immortal aspect of it. And there's a lot to play with it. It's either she's real, or she's this group, or it's like a uh, remember our ancestor, Julisha here, and blah, blah, blah. Like a revenge thing. There's many seated ways that one could use this character, but I like the fact that they list exactly what she is in terms of stats and whatnot, but they leave that story open and all sorts of ways Mm -hmm. that she could be utilized. Probably the scariest I'd say is if she chooses your pack to come along with her on one of her crazy outings. This, I thought about this. This is the person that shows up to your cairn, has that quiet meeting with the elders, and the elders call your pack in because you're the players. And they don't tell you why, but suddenly they give you a series, like just a box of masks that are handmade, and they tell you to deliver it to key targets at key times. You don't know why you're delivering it, but at each place it turns into an action scene best meant for the Bourne conspiracy or for for James Bond films, right? That just erupts out of nowhere. And you're just trying to catch this girl, but every time you're just serving as a taxi. Oh, do you have my latte for me? Thanks. I appreciate it, love. Drive to the next agenda, please. As you're going through alarms, there was an explosion of buildings burning down. And here you are like, yeah, sure, we'll we'll do that. You know, provide a distraction for me at the corner. This character tickled me because of all the ways that you could use her in that capacity. And I've never once seen her in a game. I've been to quite a few World games. Nobody's ever played a character even like this. And it kind of, it's why I chose her, because I think that she definitely represents that Ragabash, that ideal Ragabash, and she also represents that that angle of the Fury, uh, of retribution and uh, responsibility that isn't often thrown in the same spot. I, I was with you on this. I, I can't look at this character without being uh, excited, right? As uh, just, well, all the endless possibilities you've talked about. I'm 100% on board with you. It's a fun time. Um, but, Marie Cabra. That's the final entry we have for the Furies here. I couldn't walk past her. Um, if you're a fan of the books, you know that they have all sorts of artwork, comics, and stories that are in there. And Marie Cabra is someone you're going to run again into the second edition book as they showcase her first meeting with Lord Albert. 
And they tell you in this book off the bat that the stats are pre them being in a pack. I know. I could hear those of you who are fans. No, a silver crown. They're together. They're in a pack and blah, blah, blah. This is them before that. Why I like that is that this is, gives you the opportunity to tell that tale for both Lord Albrecht, who's also in this book, and Marie Cabra, to, for you to be players that might be involved in their pack. It leaves room for you to be, you to be pulled in with them. Right? Evan heals the passes in here too, uh, obviously for, the, for that very reason. But they have fantastic story for all three of those characters. to come together and otherwise. And with that, Marie Cabra is no less stellar, but she's also atypical in her typicalness for a Black Fury. And what I mean by that, her entry here is that she's somebody who works out constantly and all the time. And she's like a consummate hand-to-hand fighter type, but but she's like a philodox. She's not normal, right? And I apologize, I had that auspice wrong. Um, theurge. I don't know why I was, I was looking at the wrong thing and talking at the same time. It's like Marie's a theurge. Um, but the uh, point here for that is that this pack is also unique that Evan's also... His name's Evan Heals the Past. And uh, it's not your classic setup um, for, a, for a, a group of werewolves in a pack at all. And uh, that's that's what I'm driving to. And for a, a fighting theurge, it's something I think a lot of people walk away from. We talk about specializing quite a bit. And that when you make a, an auspice, you go hard. You go to the paint um, for that auspice. And uh, she's one of them. That doesn't go there. Like, she went for fighting, but she's she's just what she is. Or as she puts it, we... Just because I'm, I'm this auspice doesn't mean I don't have hobbies or likes or interests. Or I can't do something else. And it showcases the diversity, but also skill set that she could develop for that. What are your thoughts on her? Well, the the part I found most interesting is, is where it says, under fetishes, none. Right? So, at, at this stage in, in the game, she's not... Uh, She's out stalking the streets of New York City, and she's out punishing Banes, and she's teaching women, you know, like, uh, go for the eyes, kick in the groin, you know, run away, all kinds of awesome self-defense mechanisms. And uh, and what you're not seeing is is anything in the typical theurge realm that, you know, kind of like you're talking about. And so it's uh, it gives you a, a different a different way in which somebody would uh, w- would even confront Banes and things like that. Um, without having to rely on like an overabundance of fetishes or, or anything like that, it's somebody who's like fully willing to like stand up and stare down a bane, you know, and then you get cool gifts like exorcism and uh, you know and stare down and things like this that that just tell you the different level that she's on. Like she's willing to put knuckles up um, <laughs> in any conflict, umbra or otherwise. Kind of who she is. And uh, that's especially how she meets Albert, who is a pound-for-pound Arun. Right? It's, yep. just, it's just a badass uh, that they have in the book. Now, i, I got to stress this, too. Albert's even weird. Right? I know that's uh, that's an extra add-in we have here, but there's that whole little group. Um, Evan and Albert and Maria are, uh, or Maria are kind of all... I don't know. Like, it's an eclectic group that I feel were players first. Like, I think they do well in showcasing the differences that a, that a werewolf character can have and then come together as a pack because they're adhering to a calling or a feeling or a relationship building. So if you consider the fact that Marie and, and Albert, they meet like in the middle of the street and some sort of territory thing by the way the book shows you between her and Albert, then she gets bested by Albert. But Albert mm-hmm. had to throw down. Like it wasn't like he it looked it, the way the book shows, this is the second ed book where they have it. It's a comic in the combat section 
and they and they showcase all the shifting forms and what you can do. My favorite part about it is the way they draw Albert. Like, what the hell is her problem? Like, she comes up out of nowhere, and she's like, you son of a bitch, we gonna go. But when you see her, it's like, this martial arts walk in the street, what is this? And she just goes at it. He does what he can to fight her. And at the end, he has her dealt in. And he's like, what? Why? What What do we do? And he clearly showcases the, his rage got the better of him. Both of, for on both ends. It went from being a dust-up mm. to something far more serious. And in there does a great example of showing you the combat and here's why it happens in a beautiful way to showcase you what werewolf combat can be. It's a focus for werewolf is the combat and that rage meter and how out of hand it can get. That's what you want to capture when you do a game uh, for werewolf. Great way to do it. But you can also see how they would bond from that, right? To someone like Marie to get bested by a man, no less, um, who's good in combat, but he didn't do it. He wasn't there to do what she thought he was to do. She just assumed he was this bad egg. And then it had this fight, but the nobility of him is what won her over. Like, to see her done, I don't know what's going on, what happened. And then there's spite between the two. And you'd have to check out more in the Silver Crown and the novels on that, and you get a lot more of that story. But it's enough of a story for you to understand these two become friends from it. Or at least packmates, I guess. Gotta be a friend to be a packmate. Maybe not so much, right? Sometimes you're a packmate and you don't got a choice. And uh, you do what you can. Evan heals the past, though, in this group is the one who is the actual uh, relationship maker. And I think that's what a Philodox is. It's unique because he's a Wendigo, but also uh, he's he's Anglo, right? Evan Heels the past looks straight up like a white dude. He shouldn't be anybody you have to listen to about his Native American heritage whatsoever. His name is Evan. Right. He would have to tell you <laughs> that he is anything to it. And Evan's unique for that. And then, but his ancestors matter and he, he knows the ways and the spirits speak to him. And he, he comes into his own. And it's a great Philodox character that feels like a Theurge. Right? Where Marie feels like an Arun, but surprise, she's a Theurge. Evan feels like a Philodox. Or feels, excuse me, feels like a Theurge, but he's a Philodox. Albrecht, Albrecht doesn't feel like an Arun. He, the way he's always portrayed, he has this wisdom to him. And it makes you feel that Albrecht is a Philodox. And maybe mm. that would fit better. But I'd argue, and don't ever change it. I think that's just great writing. You know, the auspice is what you're born under and your duty to Gaia, but that's not necessarily what, what best suited you natural. It's something you developed into. Experience taught you to be the better for that auspice. And I think that's the way it is. I think often we think because you have that auspice, well, naturally you're the best for it. Well, what if you're not? There has to be a shitty Arun somewhere who just can't fight. It's the master getting a shit beat out of him, but is a stand-up comedian Right? That's that's his job. He's really good at telling jokes. Not so good at throwing a fist, but really good at taking a beating. That's what these three remind me of, is respect the differences that can make the character even more unique in its simplicity. And it's uh, it's an ideal thing for it. You want to know what really impresses me about these entries? And and this is like a, a little bit of an aside for me. Generally, I don't even care to look at the stats. Um, the stats are very... I guess reasonable is the best way of putting it in this book. Uh, there's very few characters you come across that have a five in, in, in much of anything. Um, they have their strengths, they have their weaknesses, but nobody's nobody's going to be like your, your player that, that makes a rank one that's <laughs> good at the thing, right? The thing that they're going to do. Doesn't matter what it is. Everybody's going to have a thing. They're good at their <laughs> thing, right? They got eight or more dice that they're rolling in it. And it's always like, wow, you know, you look at this and the majority of what you see are, are twos and threes. 
with an occasional four, which is super strong when they got a four in something. Um, and so to me, it's uh, it, it gives people a, a strong idea as to kind of where they should be and what they should be looking like and, and how it's important to make what I think Bob is calling well-balanced characters um, in this group of three individuals that don't seem to be quite where their role is and, and doing other things and, and, and kind of having this, this weird blend. But somehow, even the three of them and their weird blend seem to somehow make a cohesive pack. I think it's great, but since we're kind of we're kind of free flowing this a little bit, um, I also enjoy other aspects of it. Like um, my man Scarthroat Leech Killers in this book, and to get a Fenris, and he's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Why I love I love Scarthroat Leech Killer so much, and his father Raven Corpse Killer. Now, I I know I've talked about him before, and I got to tell you, they're in this book here. You could you love well the least Scarthroat is. You love the aspect of them, but it's the fact that even they're get they're lupus, but it's a lupus as a justified reason for hating all vampires, right? Um, having a patch of fur missing in his neck from his first change—that's a scar that he still has—is a hallmark. Well, why is it called that? Because he's Scarthroat Leech Killer. That's what it is. Some Sabat vampire <laughs> bit him on the neck and tried to do him in. He tore his head off, and his dad was nearby when he went through his first change to come by and go, "I'm proud of you, son," but you gonna eat that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't notice it then, but gets it now, right? Because Raven Corpse Killer is killed for this. But this, that, God, that depth, that depth of story to be the person right there, the untold story for any, for if you're new to the game and you have friends who don't know about it, but they were fans of Vampire, here's your in. Imagine being these werewolves who are nearby, who are sent to a get cairn to investigate supposed um, baiting and, and eating of, uh, of vampires, right? Which is a questionable line of the litany. Well, technically, they're not humans. Right? We can eat them. Should you? Nah, I think that's definitely wormish nonetheless. I think you knew it was wormish. Is it though? And, you know, someone says it's happening. And the getter, like, nobody here would do that. And they're looking at the lupus who don't say anything. Right? Scarthroat's a raven corpse killer just whistling, looking elsewhere. Don't answer it. Well, why would that happen, Bob? Well, the unsprung thing is the fact that if raven corpse killer's eating vampires, he's getting that ghoul blood. And that's an explanation of the addiction he could have. He's not immune to it. Doesn't mean he's bloodbound to anyone in specific, right? Just because he's eating them doesn't mean he's letting them live, right? Not like he has a salt lick of a vampire sitting somewhere and gets to heal over time. <laughs> um, it means, though, when he kills and eats him and licks that good good, that he's he gets addicted to it, that rush of power. But what happens when someone notices that he's not aging? Right? That's possible. What happens when someone notices that he gets cranky even more so? For not doing what he needs to, it tears off into the city. They start coming up with new nicknames for him. Like Worm Tainted. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely things, right? It's a seed like that that goes a long way, though. Hey folks, DJ here. I just want to take some time to talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliations by Flyles Games. This soon-to-launch game is brought to you by the same team that's bringing you Vampire the Masquerade chapters. And they just released a trailer to go along with it. We at 25 invite you to check it out at werewolfthepocalypse-retaliation.com to catch a peek at the trailer and be updated of when it'll appear on Kickstarter, which seems to be early 2022. The game promises to have everything that made chapters endearing to us, the fans, including scenarios, investigations, beautiful miniatures, and more. With that, thanks for your time. Now back to the show. And uh, there, there's, there's tons in here. Now... What I like about it is every tribe in here is stacked to where they have not only unique characters from mix of powerful, well-balanced, 
uh, to needs not needs improvement, but like room to grow. We'll say mm-hmm. is uh, it's good that they do that mix, but they also have stuff that showcases you the ideal for the auspice too. That'll that'll sing uh, sing its home, or the questionable ones like Scarthroat Leech Killer could easily be a red talon. Let's say you didn't like the fact that it was a get, but you'd love the fact that it would yep. be a red talon. Well, what stops you from making it so? Right? Or a red talon version of it? Absolutely nothing. I believe it's Jer Hunts the Hunted. It's another get that's in this book, and it's somebody that goes out of their way uh, to hunt down... Uh, well, you, hunters is the best way to put it. You're out there yep. doing what you do. He likes to take out hunters in unique ways and leave evidence that, uh, that humans are doing and stuff like that. It's... It's a whole mix of this book leaves a nuance that that inspires you when you read about the characters to use them or to play with new themes that they added to the background. It's one of those things that says this this why did we get away from making characters like this? And it's not that they died off, it's that Werewolf didn't get that tender love and care that they maybe needed that hopefully is around the corner. And you need the canon. Now, to back up what Nick said earlier, eh, we're fans of this, right? We adore it when our authors actually make characters that they feel are good enough to put stats to for our usage. I know that might sound arrogant to some people. I've heard arguments on all sides for it. But I want to state this again. After a hard day and I got to run a game and I got to come over to do what I got to do, what I want more than anything is to be able to have a character that is uh, already made sometimes. Where I want to fill a plot hole and I don't have to go through to do it. But then because I read an awesome book with some enriching plots and seeded background, I could pull from this and use this. And yes, there are books that have a smattering of this. But I think Werewolf was enhanced by seeing a book like this that had it there. Because these characters go on to be used in some aspects. Some places you do see them, others don't make the cut. But when they use them, you get to go, and because it, it's the level of release. Where this is put later on down the road when you get to revise and, you know, the apocalypse and all that stuff, you get to go, oh man, it's fantastic. I know the story of that person from the very beginning. You can almost pull it off the shelf as you read the new stuff and go, oh man, it's a hell of a story of their development and how that rolled out. It's a good feeling. And that's something you don't necessarily get with Vampire, with the exception of one I'm going to tell you sooner than later. I want you to pay attention to an entry here in the worm section. We're already getting to the worm section. We're just jumping past champions, the guy to get to other <laughs> stuff that's in here. But I can't find a better way to talk about Count Vladimir Rustovich. It's like the one vampire in this book. And they throw him in here. Now, he's in rage, right? Yep. And he's a guy who's running around looking to kill Shadow Lords. And I can't help but giggle at it every time. <laughs> it's it's not a bad character. It's because I'm a little sadistic. And I kind of enjoy the fact that his MEC Elder is like, <laughs> batting around the city looking for any Shadow Lord. You got me out of the Carpathians. Where are you, Shadow Lords? <laughs> and, and batting around is the right word for it. You look at the picture for him, and he basically looks like a giant bat person. Um, not not like a weird, like a, like you would just a, a, a long-eared Nosferatu, big fanged. He looks like a, somebody took a bat's head and screwed it on his head. And he flies around the city on his bat wings. <laughs> he looks like a giant bat. <laughs> I need to, need to make sure that's abundantly clear. <laughs> it looks like someone that uh, Bruce Wayne gets a hold of to, to try to cure, right? Is that? Is I believe I believe DC <laughs> had that, right? The actual Batman, not just Batman. Uh, interesting stuff, uh, but not a bad entry because it's what they're doing here is showing you that oh yeah, we didn't forget about vampires, but they're not the focus. 
right? It's there. It's fine. You can use them to kill them, and but but they got to be epic. Why? Let's face it. If it's werewolves versus vampires, you're not gonna put. You could take a pack or two of vampires you like and throw them at one werewolf, and it's already an unfair game. Can you? You may not have done this, but humor me. Next time you vampire fans are out there and you're story t- and you're a storyteller, and you're like, my players have seen everything. One of them just got that level five aspects and, or excuse me, potence and a little bit of celerity. It's always this combat monkey, whatever. Watch where they feed and have them feed in the wrong homeless guy. For us, for me and Nick, we always see this. I'm going to go feed in the homeless. Oh, oh, it's my favorite line ever. You know why? Because then I get to put Bonars in the game. Right. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Do it one time. Please tell me you're going after the homeless again. Oh, make it an epidemic to the homeless. Oh, yeah, I love this. <laughs> Why it's funny is because, you know, sometimes they, they have a feeding chart, right? And we all know how the rules work. But if they screw up, they're supposed to have an interesting encounter. It doesn't always have to be, ah, you just don't find anyone. It could be, you feel off about this one. What do you mean? You're not that attractive of a guy or a girl and the person you're hitting on is like, yeah, let's go home right now. Somewhere private? Oh, yeah, I know just the place. Take that alley on the next left. Why the alley? Yeah, I like it rough. You know, let's, let's have it be somewhere where it's going to be very interesting for you and very good for me. And you're like, oh, yeah. That one dot of presence, like, God's helping, buddy. Let's get it. You're, and your rest of your troops, like, shit, I don't know, man. I feel off about this. And that player's like, bro, I'll crush your neck so fast. Poets and Slarity, done. We'll call it a day. Yeah, watch what happens when that person goes Krenos, takes the war form, and that initiative gets rolled. You ever see a player go, I'm super powerful one moment, and then the next second, why? Why does the world of darkness hate me? They go from, don't worry, I got four blood, to, I only have four blood. (laughs) And and you want to say, why do you guys laugh at it? Well, it's because expect the unexpected, always, in a game. And you should never build a character that often, that that will ever feel that they never have a challenge. Right? There's a reason you develop a pattern, especially for feeding. There's a reason you get careful and all that stuff. But if you're thinking to yourself that you're just going to put werewolves on tap and you didn't build a concept to do that, please understand that's just not accurate. Like, to, to all things their time, but Rustovich is a good example of a vampire that could hunt down a werewolf pack and have some some appreciable success. Um, not always, and definitely I wouldn't leave it just him versus them, because that might be more short-lived than you think. I digress. Now, when it, when it does come to Vladimir Rustovich, though, I do have to kind of take back my nobody-has-a-five comment. <laughs> you have to, because they have uh, a, need an elder that'll live. <laughs> Yep, this, this guy's got more than fives. <laughs> I mean, you got werewolf blenders left and right. We got to do something with it, right? So, and, and it's supposed to be a standalone antagonist. It's how he's written. Um, and they yep. do well. They do well in throwing that out as an example. But I want to make sure we get all the minions in here in terms of understanding. They, of course, got corrupted Ananasi in here. That's were spiders. At least one. And they have Bastet and Rokia. Definitely have their own entries and give me an example that even though these are corrupted versions and of course there are Gaian ones these are the ones that have fallen and why would they fall a lot of people forget that these three uniquely easily make up an antagonist that could take a whole game like a whole story uh to Mm. to explore experience see why and how it's a great chance to showcase like think if you're going after an Ananasi and you don't know what it is and you send a group of players out to uh the wheel of Patasept uh to talk to the striders out there who might have heard rumor of it and they're like, look, we don't know anything about it, but how about you go to old Casablanca and, and we know a guy who's out there that might tell you about it. And lo and behold, the guy they send you to, they don't know it, but you find out is an Ananasi and just straight up talks to you about it. Knew you were coming, 
had an inkling. Someone told it to them, right? And their culture is revealed to the players through this interaction to fill them in on who they're hunting and why. Except he adds one more. I'm going to go with you. Well, why is that? Because you'll never be able to find them and you won't know how to eliminate the threat if I don't go with you. It's one thing to tell you what to expect. It's another thing to be one. And I'm, I would mm-hmm. be honored to help you write this wrong. Great story. You know, just an example of what you could do with that. And it gives you a lot of, a lot of storytellers love the different uh, changing breeds and never see an opportunity to bring them in a game. It's a great way to do it. You know, um, could be that a member of the Anasi come to you at your cairn and, and request the SEP to help out after, ta- again, secret meeting with the elders. Or maybe the elders, you'll talk to us as you would talk in front of everyone and lay it on the table. Great chance to show guru culture. And, and what it's all about. And then deal with that, hey, didn't a war of rage, didn't we kill all of them? <laughs> to have that out there, only to have that group, and might as well, let's make them Shadow Lords, go, yeah, they are all supposed to be dead, which means we get the right or wrong tonight. In the name of Gaia. Inner politics. Dun, dun, dun. All sorts can be done from it. Endlessly. And this book gives you an example of just three different changing breeds that have fallen to the worm. The cool thing to note, they don't leave it off with just, okay, cool, Pentex is in here. Um, now that they're here, we can move on and, you know, Pentex is evil. You should throw humans at it. Some of the most interesting characters I've read about in this book have been from Pentex. Pound for pound. Um, Pentex first team number 21. They put an entire first team in here uh, with infamy about them hunting down and killing Guy and Guru. They do it well. I believe it's T.F. McNeil, the first team leader. And just, can, can we just talk about that name? T.F. McNeil and Pentex Strike Team 21, <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't worry, Strike Team 21 has your back. For you Action Bill Combat Badge supporters, tune in next week. <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a cheesy thing to do, but I love it's this. very 80s. I, it is. I love this about Werewolf, though, that your enemies and your foes have these gimmicks that make the characters sing. They really bring out what they do for the game, and it's okay to kill these guys because there's a level of disinterest. That is disinterested term. I don't think it's that. I think there's a level of uh, the care isn't as strong. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Where it might be hard mm-hmm. and gut wrenching to kill that child who gets corrupted by a bane spirit who you tried everything to stop the possession, but the Fomori is persistent. Well, I should say the bane's persistent. Now the child's a Fomor, and heart wrenchingly the child of God. I can't do it. And there's there's this high drama and this sorrow here, but it has to be done, and it's done. Pegasus mourns. They gain their renown, and that sucked. You need to wash your mouth out of that. And and just, hey, can I just get, you know, just the obvious villain here? Sure. T.F. McNeil provides in his Pentex first team 21, right? <laughs> just they're, they're coming to make it happen. And they're going to fly in with all dual plumb. Full profile, full, re- full reasons why they're bastards and what they use and equipment styles. And if I haven't said it before, I don't think we did mention it. One of the biggest things I love in here are the role-playing notes. It's not unheard of. It's not uncommon, but these are truly unique. I like it that they give you tips of how to portray this character and have fun with it by trying to make you feel that you're already the character as you read the notes. You understand the mindset, which is the point, right? Great to do. Great to do. In fact, I'll see this method repeated, and especially around this time, for many live-action games done in convention style. you got to have role-playing notes to help people get into the character so that they go to the plot with an idea of how to do the plot. This format is codified here and along with some of the vampire books to do the same thing uh this leads us to a uh interesting note did you notice the wolf in this book 
From Pulp Fiction? Um, The Wolf. Oh, from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. There's a Fomori under this heading because, you know, Pentex has its Fomori. And he goes by the name of Mr. Iguana. He, Mr. Iguana. He looks like Harvey Keitel. It's, it, I promise you, it's supposed to look like Harvey Keitel. It's supposed to look like the wolf, that character from Pulp Fiction. But they literally combine Reservoir Dogs, Mr. White, and the wolf into one character. And then at a twist. Right? He's, he's supposed to be somebody good as a saboteur, good with corruption, but good being a cleaner. Right? That mafioso cleaner. Like something. Oh, he does look just like Harvey Keitel. Right. And when you read That's it. That's insane. They even use a line in there from the movie that they don't, don't quote it direct, but enough of it. It's something about smashing somebody in the face with a gun and then see if that doesn't change their disposition. Do you remember Yeah, that? hit him in the nose with the butt of your gun and see what it does for his disposition. Absolutely. It was in Reservoir Dogs when he's coaxing him and how, you know, basically being a being a gunman and uh, an armed gunman in a place, you know, dealing with a bank manager, I believe is what the story was. Been many a year since I've seen that, but that's... I, I remember that, that style and character. And then seeing it both combined here, I love it when this happens. <laughs> It's a loved character, and he's here. And the fact that he's Mr. Iguana makes it even funnier because they, <laughs> they don't make him a sensational, unstoppable Fomori. This tragic character um, is told that they captured him. A Pentex first team captures him at a site that he was infiltrating and trying to ruin and was being successful at someone until he got captured, obviously. And then they inject him with Fomorol and tell him, hey, the company that you were at investigating with this industrial espionage, they've you got a hold of a bad chemical that's going to turn you into this lizard man. But don't worry, we got the cure. It's going to take us a while to get it. It's going to be hard research. One year we'll get it, but it's either you come work with us to help keep that cost down, and we'll pay you very well for working for us, by the way, and we'll cure you as soon as we can. But, and you get the idea. It's They're never mm-hmm. going to cure them. Of course, it's Fomoral they inject them with, with the traits that they talked about in the Fomoral to do just that and make him what he is. Mr. Iguana. And he goes around solving problems for Pentex as this cleaner character. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just a joy of mine. Uh, But as Bane's in here and gives great examples of them, I know a lot of times we see Bane's, they're just just entry points like firmlings and whatnot. And, uh, you know, corrupted chemical Bane. And this is the anger Bane that makes people mad. This is the psychomachia Bane, but really the important thing is the Fomoria becomes, not the Bane itself. And right here, there's an entry that says, nah, not so much. These can be Banes that are on standalone. Doesn't take much to do it. And it lists them accordingly to get your brain going on what a Bane could be. Nobody ever talks about what happens to a Fomor after the host's life runs out. Hmm. It's an interesting thing. Right, we know that first the Bane seeks you out, and then it finds a weakness in you. Once that weakness is exploited, it possesses you. Once you're possessed, you're Fomori. Boom. Right? However, that doesn't necessarily mean you're you. Typically, you are, but there are circumstances where the Fomori whole is now in control of the Bane. And you might even be dead. Like, you're gone, and it's just using your body, and it's going to burn through it. But what happens when the body's burned through? Are you able to find another one? Are you permanently materialized here? These questions don't have to be answered in a general format. In fact, I imagine it's salt to taste for the ST every time. But then you think about something like the Uctena, who have Bane tenders on some big badass Bane that, you know, they just have to keep quiet and safe and can't die and whatever. How did he get that way? How did he get that epic? And, you know, the Uctena tribe book has an entry story for Bane tenders that they have on it. 
And they show that comic of just how evil some of these Banes can be that are physically manifested this side. You know, they couldn't kill it. All they could do was weaken it to bind it and keep it where it is. And they're, they're content with that. Maybe they bound it so it couldn't escape. We know spirits, Banes are that. If they die, they just go to rematerialize later on in the Umbra somewhere to start yep. again. And what the Banes do is so terrible, they can't let it do it again. And so they seek to weaken it to trap it because then, then it can't rematerialize and they have a lid on it. It's very dangerous to do things like that. And it's hubris to think you can, or maybe too powerful. And these Bane listings give you ideas and start-off points to jump off with that in the, the entries they have in the book, which is good to do. As a side note, they mention in here why they did it. They're well aware that a person possessed is a Fomori. And that listing Fomori separate from Banes, you don't really need to do that, but they did it here. Because in the card game, you'll see that, right? Some Because they do a flip system, right? Starts off as a Fomori, flips to a Bane. Like the Bane comes out and it's even stronger. Um, it's You could do that, right? And that's that's for cards and it's mechanic it has in here. Here, they just do it separate. In other words, do what you like. <laughs> you know, here's a Bane, it's a Bane. Here's Fomori, that's Fomori. It's church and state. We understand the rules are different, but you can really play with them and feel free to customize and do that. And, uh... I don't know. To me, the antagonist in here for being Bane and Fomori has been somewhat, I'd say, cookie cutter. And there's a good relief for that, right? You kind of want your shock troops to be your shock troops. Um, but it's good to know that you can still put an individual spin to them. What you didn't see a lot of, or you didn't get a lot of dig to, is the seventh generation cult inside of Pentex. Now, I think I asked you this before, Nick, in the format when we when we first touched on them, you know, the concept of the seventh generation. To see these characters in this book, and to understand how the cult is laid out and they got different roles and assignments and ranking. Do you feel you had a better understanding on them and it helped? Or do you feel that this you didn't need this and you pretty much knew what they were? Um, it, it's always uh, it, it's always difficult to say that more information is, is not good information. Um, what I liked about this is, even though they did include the seventh generation in here, and they did go into to, you know strong detail about them, uh, as as they had in the past, they also brought back the old characters and seemingly the old motives for the seventh generation as well in the character section. So it's uh, like all those existing ties that were happening in I think uh, Rage Across New York, maybe it, it was a long long time ago. Um, all that stuff is is back to the front uh, in in this book and brought back up and be like, do you remember this guy? Do you remember that he was doing this thing? And do you remember that these other people did not like that? We do. <laughs> and you stare at it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's chilling to see it all in one place in this book, to read what they do and how, how that works out. And that villainy, right? That defiler villainy is uh, in full effect. And I think a lot easier um, to deal with when you see it eye to eye um, all in one in a one-stop shop, which is the singing part of here. And uh, more or less, that's to the end of the book. Um, what you have going on here. I think Seventh Generation is the last major entry we have for it with the odd abomination mentioned at the very end, which is great. It's there. An A-bomb is an A-bomb is an A-bomb as far as I'm concerned. Interesting story for it, I suppose. Um, but overall, that's the book. Uh, the Rage, Rage Warriors of the Apocalypse is that book that you get when you want to do a werewolf game. You're inspired to run one, but you're having trouble. Writer's block. 
and you need to think it through and you want to see some werewolves and some unique angles and agendas that could come through because it pulls from all sorts of books to put unique characters in to help you out with those seeds. So for that reason, that's why I say own this book. They can't all be my favorite, but this is one that is an ST tool for me with Werewolf. What do you think, Nick, for someone who hasn't ran a Werewolf game yet? <laughs> to a to a to a degree uh, that would warrant having a tool set necessarily but definitely is learning a lot more about werewolf and has read um quite a bit and played a bit what do you think about it I, i'll be honest with you if if i was a if i was an st I'd, I'd point my players at this book just for a level of uh i guess inspiration if not if not realism and grounding um when it comes to that kind of just different builds and things that you can do with them another great thing is all of these people can be added to any given scenario. If they know you're going to play in an area, like your characters can integrate backgrounds knowing the stories that are detailed in here and can easily like lay themselves on them. And I think that's uh, invaluable in its own, in its own right. That's what you get folks. Um, Rage, where is the apocalypse? Pick it up. Um, drive through RPG or wherever you enjoy such books. I, I know that's where I found my copy PDF years ago i want to say is what it what it was when i got this book originally it's uh digital libraries are built slow and uh, i'm positive of it though um i want to say what's right there where i already said it uh i'm gonna have to double check that but <laughs> i said it but choose them anyway go there and check them out a lot of my outdated material typically comes recircling back in pdf anyway that's where i typically find it if i can't it's what i do um so I'll give that a, a shameless plug there um that's it, folks. Um, tune in next time as we take on... Oh, yeah, I should say this. Um, we have Chronicles of the Black Labyrinth next, don't we? Yeah, we do. Now, I'm going to say that calmly. I I adore this book, and uh, we're definitely going to have a field day with it. I can't wait to hear what you think about it, sir, uh, when we get to it. That book is... Uh, ah, I love a good villains. And I, and I love good stories like that, too. Um, but we'll get to it. It's uh, To me, it's the, the Worms Book of Nod, right? That's how I that's how I see it, and it's so glorious the way they do it. Uh, but thank you, Nick, very much for for being here, and happy twenty twenty two, by the way. Yay! <laughs> and everybody, welcome to the new year. And this being the first pod out, I'm very happy to do it. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs>